What is going on, everybody? You are listening to the J Red Show on the Anchor Podcast app. Um, it's a bit late. I said I would do this over the weekend because it'd be the um, nine-year anniversary of the Pagulas buying the team. Haven't got the chance to. Got to call in the work early. <coughs> Well, let's get started next Monday. I'll be part of Tavern Sports Chat with Ranting Ron and a few others. Well, anyhow, we had a crazy weekend in sports. Um, go over what I missed. The Buffalo Sabres defeat the Winnipeg Jets by a score of 2-1. to one. Jack Eichel had both goals. And then on Saturday, they beat the Penguins 5-2. Jack Eichel had two goals in that game as well, so he has four goals on the weekend. So at the end of January, the Sabres came back from a 10-day break, and they lost three games in in a row to three of the worst teams in the league, Ottawa, Montreal, and Detroit. At that point, I thought, oh man, they're mailing it in again, just like last year, just falling apart, collapsing, and I pretty much stopped paying attention. Since then, they have gone 7-3-1 in the month of November. They have played their best stretch of hockey since October. So this team is hard to predict. I mean, Victor Olsson's return is part of it. Kyle Oposo has been great. But man, they were left for dead at the end of the se- at the end of, at the end of January, and playoffs are still a long shot. But. Yeah, that we end with weekend at the end of January. It's really gonna hurt. If they had won those three games, they're in the playoff hunt. They're in. They're in the race. They have a long way to go to catch up to Toronto, but they're twelve. Those six games back. Those six points back. This season doesn't feel as dead. So Bogosian is on waivers. Um, I think that'll be a good move to let go of Bogosian. I think he'd be better on a better team, but he's been simply lost out there. He makes way too many mistakes, and I think the Sabres would be better off without him. I love the idea of Vinny Trocheck, and I think it's something the Sabres would revisit in the offseason. Teams fighting for the playoff lives don't trade the second line center. I've been reading a few things, and there is four players I want Bottle to look at the deadline. Chris Tierney. For a long time, whenever anyone suggested him, I was like, no, he's garbage. But when you look at the numbers, he is a plug-and-play centerman that is the perfect third-line center if they are good. He is 25 and RFA at the end of the season. I give up essentially anything except the, except the first. <coughs> A second and a prospect. No problem. Anthony Ansona. I've been on his train for a long time. 
kind of mojo type that that could play center in a pinch, but his speed is lethal. He's not far removed from a 30-goal season. Detroit has had trouble with negotiations with him in the past, so maybe they are appointed to move him in a hockey deal for a defenseman. Also an RFA at the end of the season. Tyson Jost. Seems like a buy-low option. Colorado has so much talent, and he has been a bit lost in the wind. People have said he is he is the West Millstad, and even suggested Millstad for Joe straight up, and the, and the change of scenery helps. This would depend on the value for me. I wouldn't trade Millstad, but for the third rounder, I'm often for it. Last one's a little bit of a wild card. Um, Eric Stahl. He's 35, he has two more years at just over $4 million. But he has won the Cup. He can play a second-line minutes next season and then anchor a solid third line after that. Plus, he isn't far removed from an almost 80-point season and around 40 points already on disappointing Minnesota's team. He has modified a no-trade clause so they could be okay, have an okay deal here. But you never know. I believe the stalls are far from the Toronto area and maybe. Like Skinner, he wants to be close to home. And Mikko Koivu is refusing to lift his no-trade clause. This becomes, this becomes more of a possibility. Minnesota would want futures, and that's cool. Adding a proven scorer and veteran would available be available to this team. Adding a guy like Stahl would be great, because he's another body you can leave unprotected for the CL draft. And on that note, I was resigned Gergesen and Larson. We finally have two lines that work, work consistently. Fix the middle six with some score on a solid sentiment and get a solid sentiment, and this team will be a, a big jump. So, at the end of January, many fans, myself included, was ready to run Jason Botterill out of town. But, is anyone starting to think that he's starting to redeem himself with the Sabres the way they play in the way they are? I mean, I still think playoffs is a long shot. They need to go like 17-6 and six the rest of the way. The slump they hit the end of January really cost them. But this team should be better than what it was last year. As of right now, they are 29-25-8 for 66 points. Only 10 points and 5 wins away in 20 games from beating last year's total. So they should beat last year's total. Playoffs is a bit of a long shot. They're chasing Florida, who's 32-24-6 with 70 points, and Toronto, who's 32-23-8 with 72 points. And speaking of Toronto, on the 40-year anniversary of the Miracle on Ice, the Toronto Maple Leafs just lost to an emergency backup goaltender who was their Zamboni driver. <coughs> the Hurricanes lost Peach Mrazek and James Reimer both to injuries, both with heavy collisions. So they called in Dave Ayers, who was a Zambo who was the Zamboni driver for the Toronto Marlies, a 42-year-old. And the Hurricanes won 6 to 3. Grant Ayers didn't have to do much. He only stopped eight shots. And he allowed the first two. But 
was great defense by the Hurricanes and a great offense by the Leafs. But still, what a story on the 40-year anniversary of the Miracle on Ice. I mean, this isn't, at, this isn't quite as big as the Miracle on Ice, but it's still a huge sports story. <laughs> and it isn't so much that the Hurricanes, much props to David Ayers, but it's more of what a mess the Toronto Maple Leafs are. Yes, they're in a playoff position right now, but they have a lot of problems. The defense isn't that good. The offense should be better. The new coach isn't getting a lot out of them. If I'm a Leaf fan, I'm frustrated. Yes, it's better than the Sabres going nine years without playoffs, but the Toronto Maple Leafs have not won a playoff series since 2004, and they're showing no signs of ending that drought. Will the Sabres catch them at the end? Eh, I don't think so. Plus, I also got to catch Florida. It's a long shot. But the Sabres should at least make this last core of the season interesting. In the Canes-Leafs game, Warren Fogle had two goals. Martin Nickus had two assist, had two points, one goal and one assist. For the Leafs, Tyson Berry had two assists. Casper and Kepin had two assists. The three goals were scored by Pierre Engvall, Alex Kerfoot, and John Tavares. But it's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult for the Sabres to catch the Leafs. But it's going to set up a very interesting trade line. Oh, here we just have some breaking news to happen right, right now as I speak. Eli Kovalchuk has signed with the Washington Capitals. And he'll be joining Alexander Ovechkin, who just scored his 700th career goal. So on the 40-year anniversary of the um of the music of the Music City Miracle, not, not the Music City Miracle, the Miracle on Ice, we saw Alex Ovechkin get 700 goals, and we saw a backup go- an emergency goaltender Zamboni driver win a game. But now Eli Kovalchuk has joined Alexander Ovechkin. I predict the Capitals to win the Cup this year. I think they're I think they're red hot right now. Uh, Kovalchuk is good, um will definitely help Ovechkin chase history, try to break Wayne Gretzky's record for career goals. Jack Eichel continues to have a fantastic year. He has thirty five goals and forty two assists for seventy seven points. He's fourth in the NHL in goals. And 7th in the NHL in points. So what moves should the Sabres um, make at the trade deadline? Hit me up on Twitter at JRedShow. And with everything that went on yesterday, um, yesterday was the 40-year anniversary of the muse, of the Miracle on Ice. Miracle on Ice, John, not Music City Miracle. I don't know why I keep saying that. But even though it was before I was happened before I was even born, I get chills every time I watch it. Whether it be on YouTube or a couple of years ago, me and my older brother went to Lake Placid. We went to the arena. We went around the museum and we actually saw the game on a television set 
So I get chills every time I watch it. It is the greatest moment in sports history. And I don't think any moment will beat it. I guess my question is, though, there are two things that could have happened to make it debatable if it was the most the best sports moment in, in history. One, what if USA didn't beat Finland and didn't win the gold? Would that moment still have been as great? Well, I think most people would say yes. The victory over Finland was just the icing on the cake. Be, uh, being the Soviets um, was, the real, was the real miracle and the real goal. So I don't think winning that game over Finland, over f losing that game over Finland would have changed it. But my second question is, what if another country beat us to the miracle? In the 1980 Olympics, the Soviets defeat Japan 16 to nothing. The, the Soviets blew out Japan, Poland, and the Netherlands. But they barely escaped Finland and Canada. They only beat the F Finland 4-2, and they beat Canada 6-4. So those two countries almost beat the U.S. to the miracle. Would that moment have been as great as it was, as big as it was, if those, if Finland or Canada beat the Soviet Union before the USA did? So that's one thing that's worth debating. Hit me on Twitter at JRedShow. But as it stands, it is the greatest moment in sports history because it translates beyond sports with everything going on in the world at the moment and the, the height of the Cold War. Um, I'm, it was really during the turning point of the Cold War. I'm not sure if a game, this game really changed the perspective of the Cold War. Uh, I, I'm not sure this... Most people say this game was the turning point of the Cold War. But it was more than just a game. It was bigger than hockey. We had the Cold War, the Cold War, the boycott, um, in protest of the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. It will for it will probably forever go up as the greatest sports moment of all time. It's legacy. It um, came up with uh, a made-for-TV movie called Miracle on Ice, starring Carl Merle and Steve Gutenberg. And then in 2004, Disney made the movie Miracle with Kurt Russell, which is one of my favorite sports movies of all time. Probably one of my one of my favorite movies of all time. As for that USA team, five players played. Um, Thirteen out of the twenty players went on to go to the NHL. Five of them played over 500 games, and three of them played 1,000 games, over 1,000 games. So, where were you during the Miracle on Ice? Or were you like me, not even born yet? Hit me on Twitter at JRedShow. <coughs> on Friday, UB got a huge MAC victory by beating Kent State by a score of 104-98. In double overtime. Jason Graves led the team with 33 points. Um, 
Josh Mabella had 14 rebounds. Devontae Jordan had 7 assists. And this UB team is starting to come around. It, for a rebuilding year, they look very good. <coughs> they have a record of 9-5 in the conference and 18-9 overall. And they'll start to climb with the max standings. The two games behind Bowling Green and Akron, both with 11-3 records. But they should get a bye in the MAC tournament. We'll see. And it, even if they don't win the MAC and don't qualify for the NCAA tournament, I am hoping they'll qualify for the NIT tournament. So, right now in college basketball, we have three mid-major programs in the top 25. Gonzaga, San Diego State, and Dayton. Dayton has won 16 games in a row. So the question is, probably not this year, but in a few years, can UB become the one of these mid-major powers? Dayton, San Diego State. Can they be a legit contender for the NCAA tournament? And what is their, what would be their impact on Western New York? I mean, last year during the NCAA tournament, they drew huge ratings. They drew higher ratings than the Sabres. Growing up, Buffalo has been a Bills and Sabres city. The Bandits and the NLL have a huge cult following, but that's all it's ever going to be a cult following. A passionate fan base. A loyal fan base, but a small fan base. The Bisons and minor league baseball. What draws people to Bisons games and minor league baseball games is Star Wars night. Mascot racing. The BPO. Not many people care about the Bisons trying to end a 15-year playoff drought and a 16-year championship drought. And the Buttes... Maybe someday the NWHL will grow into something like the WNBA. But as of right now, the Buttes are in a five-year are in a five-year-old league with only five teams, a very small team league, and it's it's just finding its legs. But the NCAA tournament is a big deal in this country. If if UB wins the national championship. How many Western New Yorkers will watch? How many would attend the parade if they become national champions? The last non-Power 5 mid-major school to win the NCAA tournament was UNLV back in 1990. Same thing with the football. Um, but but we, have a couple, we had a couple that came close. Butler came within a rim shot of winning in 2010. Butler got to the finals again in 2011. We've seen other mid-majors like VCU, Wichita State, all go deep into the tournament. So what are your thoughts him on Twitter at J-Red Show? Same thing with the football team. Um, 
Although football is a bit more comp, UB football is on the rise as well, at, with Lance Leopold getting an extension. Football is a bit more complicated, the because of the four-team playoff. The last non-power five mid-major school to win the NCAA championship national championship out outright was BYU in 1984. However, in 2017, UCF was declared co-national champions by going undefeated and defeating Auburn in the Peach Bowl. So what would that mean for Buffalo? How many fans would attend that parade if that would have happened with UB? What are your thoughts? Hit me on Twitter at JRed Show. Individual team statistics. Jason Graves leads the Bulls with 464 points. Josh Mabella leads the team with 260 rebounds. And Jordan Devonta leads the team with, 200, with 138 assists. Finally, on to Terry Pagula. Nine years ago, on February 2018, Terry Pagula bought the Sabres and the Bandits. Later that summer, he bought the Amherst. Three years later, he bought the Bills. He bought the Buttes. In 2017, they recently sold them, and then just recently, and then last year he brought he brought the two years ago he brought the Rochester Nighthawks. So the Pagula era for each team. For the Buffalo Sabers, it's been an unmitigated disaster. Nine, very likely going on nine straight years without playoffs. Yes, there was a two to three year stretch where they were supposed to be bad when they tanked for Jet for Sam when they tanked for Sam Reinhart and Jack Eichel. Well, the year after that, I'd say was pretty good to get an A one point season in fifteen sixteen after tanking was pretty good. But since then, it's been all downhill. It's been mismanagement, dysfunction. Two general managers that. Don't, seemingly don't have a clue what they're doing. Well, the Sabres have been hot, and maybe Bottle has a plan once the money comes up the books. But I'm still skeptical towards him. The Amherst, they're going to make the... Pl um, well, for, before I get to the other teams, we'll, start, we'll go to the Bills. We'll do the Bills next. The Bills. It started off bad with... The Rex Ryan debacle and keeping Doug Whaley, but he did he did hire Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean, and they got to the playoffs two times in three years. That huge accomplishment for a team that's gone recently gone seventeen years without playoffs, but next year the expectation should be for the Bills to win. To win the to win the, the division and win a playoff game, especially if Tom Brady retires. Amherst, they're probably going to make the playoffs this year, which will be the sixth time in the nine years Pagula's owned them. They made it. The only times they missed was the three years in the Tim Murray. 
But the problem is, every time they've made the playoffs, they fell flat. They haven't won a playoff series in the Pagula and only won two playoff games until the 14. And this year looks no different. The Bandits... The Bandits have been all over the place in, under Pagula. But that's the nature of the NLL. 2012, the first year in Pagula, they went 7-9 and 1-done and out of the playoffs. 2013, 6-10, no playoffs. 2014 was a strange year. The Bandits start that year 8-2. Then they lose 8 straight to finish 8-10. However, they still qualify for the playoffs by finishing 3rd in the division. They beat the Toronto Rock in Week 1 in the the single nation wildcard round. Then in the semifinals, they defeat Rochester at HSBC Arena. They go to Rochester, and then they lose. They lose that game and tie the series at one. Then immediately they play a ten a mini game with a ten minute a ten minute five a ten minute one quarter game, which was tied. It went to overtime. The game was in a crossbar goal in the finals, but they lost to Rochester. The Nighthawks went on to win the third straight. Nighthawks won. They. The Bandits got above 500 in 2015 to... They finished that year 11-7, and but they went one and done with a loss to the Nighthawks. 2016, they went 13-5. and They get to the finals, but they fell to the Saskatchewan rush two games to none. There was no mini-games. It was just a full two-out-of-three series. 2017 and 2018, they went six and ten and eight and ten, six and twelve and eight and ten respectively to miss the playoffs those two years. Then last year they went fourteen and four, got to the finals again, but got swept by the Calgary Roughnecks. And this year they're currently at six and three, tied for second division with Toronto, one behind Halifax at seven and two. The Rochester Nighthawks are dead last at one and eight, so not a good start for the Pagula era for the new Nighthawks. The Buttes went twelve and four, eleven and four in their two respective seasons in the Pagula, but they lost the Isabel Cup to the Metropolitan Riveters and the Minnesota Whitecaps. So I think you could dismiss dismiss the success of the Buttes and the um, Bandits. Well, sort of agree on the band. I sort of disagree with the Bandits. I think Pagula is just as responsible for providing the best management for the Bandits as he is the Bills and the Sabres. But the basic, but the basic vibe I get from Bandits fans is they've been horribly mismanaged under Pagula and General Manager Steve Dietrich. But they have a financial advantage, and that's what keeps them competitive. That and it's the nine-year lead that's only the changes all time. So. You can dismiss those. As for the Bills, after stumbling out of the gate with um, Rex Ryan, it seems like Pagula got it right with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. We'll see if they can win a round next year. I have my concerns about McDermott. I think he he's, does a great job with great pre- game preparation, but I do question some of his in-game management. Kind of reminds me of Kyle Shanahan. Brandon Bean's um, done a 
Brad B has made some mistakes with the Peterman debacle, but he has he got the Bills at 10 and 6, and they have 80 million in cap. So it seems like the future is going to be bright for the Bills. Really depends how much Josh Allen um, develops. As for the Sabres, they missed the playoffs nine years in a row. So it's very disappointing. But they are red hot. They're gonna hopefully they'll get back into the race. I am I I'm skeptical towards Jason Botterill, but if the Sabres keep winning, I think he should get one more year with the money that comes off the books. Um Hopefully he'll be do a better job and make more and more moves. But frankly, I think the Sabres need an experienced president of hockey operations if if Botterill fails. Maybe, maybe, maybe someone like Rick Dudley or Brendan Shanahan. Pagula has one thing good thing about Pagula's ownership is he does offer the money to keep to keep athletes around. Seven one oh seven would not have happened under Pagula's watch. Seven one oh seven happened all the time to the Bills, Bird, Levitri. Jason Peters, Pat Williams. I could go on and on. And that's what contributed to the playoff drought. Pagula built the Harbor Center, which is good for Buffalo's economy. So there was plenty of good there's plenty of good and bad to the Pagula era. And I'm still hopeful that it'll get better. What are your thoughts? Hit me on Twitter at JRed Show. Don't forget to check out um Tavern Sports Chat. Start on March 2nd. And I will see you later.